0: I invite you to look with me this morning in the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 9 through 18 this morning. And before I do that, I wanted to give you a quick health update and also just orient us to what we're looking at this morning in in Timothy. Um, Out of the abundance of caution, uh, there are two areas that the doctors want to make sure are not problematic. And so, I have some follow-up tests in the next couple weeks. And so, um, that's where things are right now. So, if you would like to pray for me, I would really appreciate that. And I would ask that you would pray that my faith would grow as I have to wait. Because I don't like to wait. And so, again, I want to emphasize out of the abundance of caution, The doctors wanna look at two areas and uh, make sure that there's nothing problematic. So that's where it is. Sound good? Not really, but at least you know, right? But I'm confident in my doctor and I really appreciate him deeply. And so pray for me that my faith would grow. How about that? All right, this morning as we look at 2 Timothy, I wanna remind you that the Bible itself is not ultimately a textbook. The Bible is not a book that we study to get principles uh, and advice on how to live so that ultimately when we look at the Bible, we just think, oh, here's some tips on how to make my life better. The Bible is not ultimately or even fundamentally a textbook. The Bible is fundamentally a story. It's a story that has four parts. It's a story that is communicating relationship between God and human beings and the earth. And it is fundamentally not advice, it is news. It is an announcement of what is real and true. And so this morning as we look at 2 Timothy, we're still in looking at the four part story of scripture, creation. Rebellion, redemption, and restoration. And if you're thinking about Christianity or exploring Christianity or, or maybe you've been in the church a long time, who knows, just remember the four-part story is how we understand reality. Most of us grew up in a two-part story. Most of us were taught the Bible is just principles. But it's so much more than that. And I hope that you're learning that as we're, as we're taking our journey through the Bible together. So listen to this from 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 9. Timothy, uh, excuse me, Paul says to Timothy, "'Do your best to come to me soon, "'for Demas, in love with this present world, "'has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. "'Crecians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. "'Luke is alone with me. "'Get Mark and bring him with you, "'for he is very useful to me for ministry.'" Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray together. O Lord, we are here today because we need to worship. We need you, Lord, to speak to us. We need you to tell us that we uh, are forgiven. We need to be reminded that you are a forgiven forgiving God. We need to be reminded, Jesus, that the way that we understand our joy and comfort in you is to recognize all that has been done for us and to be thankful. So as we sit under your word today, Lord, would you please remind us again and again and again that we're not here to get tips on how to live a better life. We're not here to learn new tricks and spiritual methods. We're here because we need the truth to break in. We need your word to reorient all that we are so that we can understand our experience, so that we can understand what it means to, to carry out our responsibilities this week, so that we might remember that we belong to you, the God of all grace. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, glorify yourself today in our midst as we consider this word that you've given to us here in 2 Timothy. We pray this for your glory. We pray it for our good. We pray this so that we might see you, Jesus, with our hearts in your name. Amen. Can you think back to a time when you wanted to give up? Anything happened this past week where you just thought, I just, I just need to give up? Uh, I'm sure that there may be some of you out here who are like, no, I've never given up on anything. And you need to know that there are some things you need to give up. There are some times where you actually need to wave the white flag and surrender. That's true. But, how many times do we want to give up when the challenge is just too great or it's just going on too long and it's really the truth that we shouldn't give up? You know, we, we live during a time in which everything, in, in which we expect ease, in which we expect comfort, in which we expect things to just go the way that we want. And I want you to understand that all of us need to grow in endurance. And the four-part story, this is the point today. The four-part story enables us to endure. And we get to look at that together in 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's the point. This is what I want you to take out these doors and take into your heart and take into your workplace, your homes, your neighborhoods, whatever you're doing, I want you to see this week that the four-part story enables us to endure. That's the takeaway from 2 Timothy 4. We got four stops along our journey. The first one is time is limited. The second is feeling alone. The third is we should be more concerned about the gospel than our own personal hurt. And lastly, there's more. Now, if you didn't get those down, you like to take notes. I'm going to say them again, so don't worry. But the point is, four-part story enables us to endure. So let's start in our journey and make our first stop. Time is limited. When Paul writes this, let me tell you where he is. Jail. He's in a Roman prison. And to give you a real description of what that's like, I want you to imagine a shallow well and he's in it. He's in this basically hole in the ground. He's got light from above, but he doesn't have a lot of room to move around. And he's writing these words from a Roman prison. And not only that, if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can look at a few verses before verse nine where we started, and you'll see Paul say this about his own experience right now as he's writing this to Timothy. He says, I have been poured out like a drink offering. He's like, my time is short. I I, have finished the race. I've run really hard. I've endured. It's been difficult. He's writing from a place in which he knows that his time is limited. He's writing from a place in which he knows he doesn't have a lot of time left and he's tired and he's weary. And it's not long from when he writes these words that we find out that Paul was ultimately executed by the Roman government. More than likely, Paul was beheaded. Some legends think that uh, tradition says, kind, at least there's some traditions that say that Paul might have been killed at the same time that Peter was. What a day that was for the church. Peter gets crucified upside down, and Paul loses his head. Well, Paul knows that his time is limited. Do you ever feel that way? I do. Well, here's the second stop on our journey. Feeling alone. Did you notice what Paul says in verse 16? When the trial first happened, everyone deserted me. I was all alone. Do you see that in the text? So there was a time in Paul's life in which he felt absolutely abandoned and all alone. You ever feel that way? Then if you go back and read the text, you'll find that some of his co-workers left him. If you look at verse 10 and 12, it tells you that this person went to this place and this person went to that place. More than likely, those people who were with Paul were sent. They were sent somewhere because the churches in those locations needed help. And Paul knew that it was important for those that were with him to go help those people in those churches at that time. So it's not just that there were times where Paul felt that he was alone and that everybody deserted him. There were times in which he had to, uh, if you will, uh, lower the manpower because he needed people to go to different places because help was in demand. And then... If you look in verse 9 and 10, you find out that there were other people who left him, not because they were sent. There's a guy named Demas. Did you see it? Paul says, Demas left me too. Says that he preferred the things of this world. He loved this world. So he left us. If you read other parts of the New Testament, you find out that Demas was actually a really close worker with Paul. They were close. They were friends. They did a lot of things together. They traveled together. They planted churches. They helped serve the church together. And now Paul is saying at the end of his life, Paul saying when he knows he's about to die, Demas, he left me. And this is not saying that Paul thinks that he um, left the faith and denied the faith. No, it says very personally, he deserted me. You see that? He had a close friend, and this friend left him. And he left him because he cared more about the things of this world than he did about the kingdom. He's saying deep down in Demas's heart of hearts, he preferred to be comfortable and he, he preferred to pursue the things of this world, the things that fade away, you know, all the materialistic stuff that oftentimes we have to have and want to have. He was saying that Demas, he didn't leave the faith. He just started prioritizing things. He started living more for his comfort. So he didn't want to engage in difficult things and hard things. He didn't want to stay in Rome because maybe there was a thought that um, he may end up in prison too. So rather than building the kingdom and serving the kingdom and staying working with Paul and the others, he decided, no, I got to go pursue my own comfort. I need to pursue things. It's a real indictment. And you can imagine how hurt Paul was, right? Have you ever had a friend where you were kind of doing something together and it was difficult, but yet very rewarding and an awful lot of fun, that there was a ton of excitement. I mean, Paul traveling around in the first century had to be, a th- had to be thrilling, as difficult as it must have been to travel around like he did and to, for people to go with him. It must have been amazing. And here he is, having had amazing experiences with Demas, and no doubt Demas had some really good experiences. At some point in his life, he just made the switch into where he just... He just wanted to be more comfortable. He didn't want to pursue the kingdom anymore. He didn't want to get caught up in all that. It was just too hard. You can imagine how that must have made Paul feel, you know? He felt alone. And if you look in the text, it also says, but right now Luke is with him. You see that in the text? Luke alone is with me. Now, Luke and Paul were really good friends. You know, Luke was the guy that uh, was the doctor. And if you know more about Paul, you know that he had some physical maladies and problems. But Luke was with him. In other words, it's not just that Paul and Luke were friends, it's that Luke probably cared for Paul medically. It's not only that, but Several weeks ago, I don't expect you to remember this, but several weeks ago we looked at Acts 20 where Paul was with the elders and the relationship that he had there. And at the end of that, at the end of chapter, and in, at chapter 20 and into chapter 21, remember the Holy Spirit was telling Paul you need to go to Jerusalem because there you're going prob- to suffer- possibly suffer and be thrown in prison. And you remember in chapter 21, because Luke writes, the good doctor Luke writes the book of Acts, Luke says, we So Luke was even willing to go with Paul with even the threat that there may be prison or persecution. Luke and Paul were really, really close. So just because other people weren't there doesn't mean that Paul was minimizing his friendship with Luke. But if you get into this and see what's going on, you can understand that Paul felt alone. There were times when all deserted him. There were other times where he had to send people away. There were times where people preferred their own comfort than to serve the kingdom. And there were times where Luke was with him, ministering to him, being a friend to him, helping him as they were serving the Lord together. I wonder if you ever feel alone. You ever lonely? You ever had someone desert you? You ever get to the point in your life where you feel like, oh man, everyone has left me. My own family doesn't even care for me. Ever had that go on? My hunch is that there are some of you that have never been alone. You're always doing something. You're always with people. You're always wanting to be with someone. You never are alone. And my hunch is because of that, You may not even know who you really are because you don't take the time to think about who you are and what's going on because you like being with people all the time and never want to be alone. Others of you, being alone sounds like heaven on earth and you can't wait for your alone time to do whatever you do. Flip, screen, who who knows, whatever it is. Read, walk hunt, whatever, where you love being alone. And my hunch is that those of you that love being alone at times minimize the responsibility of building community and of entering into friendships with other people because you prefer to be alone all the time. And you see, God made us such that there would be times which we are alone. And God made us with the responsibility to build community. There were times where Jesus was alone, intentionally. That's important, and make no mistake about it. Jesus left heaven and came here to build community. That was hard to enter into relationships with people and to be a friend to people, not to live his life as if everybody had to be his friend, but he lived his life as if he was going to try to be a friend to others. So I need you to understand that the four-part story enables us to feel alone. You can do it. For those of you who don't like to be alone, it's okay for you to be alone. For those of you that want to be alone all the time, yes, there are times where you should be alone, but check yourself. Are you being a friend to others? Are you entering into difficult things with other people because you care, not because you hope to get something back? Well, Jesus knew what it was like to be alone, didn't he? This experience that Paul has, an experience that we share with Paul, the feeling of alone, Jesus knows what it's like to be alone. Paul says, everyone deserted me. Man, that was almost 100% literally true. We'll get to that in a little bit. But do you know who literally was deserted by everybody? His name is Jesus. He was even forsaken by his father so that we would never be. But Jesus knew what it was like to be alone. And he knew what it was like to build community and develop friendships, and be someone that's a good friend. Because in order to have friends, you need to be a good friend. In order to have people care about you, you need to care about them. Well, that leads us to this. The third stop on our journey. More concerned about the gospel than personal hurt. Did you notice the section that starts out, verse 13 and 14, somewhere in there, starts out with this Alexander the coppersmith. How about that? Alexander the metalworker, Alexander the guy, man, he did me wrong, Paul says. Did you notice that? Alexander the coppersmith, what, what, is it, what does the text say? Did me much wrong. Harm. And if you thought Demas was a challenge relationally for Paul, he mentions Alexander the coppersmith, who literally did me much harm. Paul says, This guy, Timothy, Titus, the churches in the Ephesus area, hey, beware of this guy because he opposes our message. This is a guy that that doesn't want the gospel. This is a guy that is against the church. This is a guy that is against the message of grace. More than likely, Alexander was the guy that uh, brought Paul up on charges originally. And more than likely, he was the guy that testified against Paul to say, yeah, that guy, Paul, needs to be in prison. And he didn't love Paul's message. He didn't even like it. And he was a threat. Not just to Paul, but he was a threat to the church. Broadly speaking, he tells them to beware of this guy and to look out for him because he's trouble. Do you think Paul was hurt by this guy? Do you think that he Do you think that Paul experienced some pain because this guy was standing in opposition to Paul and in opposition to the message of Jesus? Do you think that that brought Paul pain? Have you ever had someone stand against you? I mean, they really, it's not just they don't like you, they hate you. And the message that you have? Now, if any of us think that we're going to make it through life where everybody loves us, that is delusional. We ought to expect that there are going to be people who aren't going to like you and aren't going to like me. That's going to happen. This with Alexander is way beyond that. Paul knew what it was like for people to not like his message and want to argue with him, but this this is someone who literally hated Paul so much that thought he should be in prison and stood against his message. That's pretty extreme. And look at what Paul writes. Even though Alexander did this, he says in verse 16 and 17, but God intervened such that the gospel was heard. Paul was hurt. But God was at work. And God caused that hurt in the apostle's life, in Paul's life, to not be able to stop God's plan to get the message out and for it to, and for it to be amplified and go further and deeper and wider. And Paul is saying, man, this hurt. But God was doing something God was causing the message to be amplified. God was causing the message to be heard more clearly in more places. Do you see what Paul's communicating to us? Paul was more concerned about the gospel than he was his own personal hurt. The four part story, beloved gives us space in our lives. It creates space in our lives so that we can express when we are hurt. Evil is real, but never gets the last word, does it? There is space for you to be deeply hurt by people. There is space for me to be deeply hurt by people. And at the same time, I can say that hurts. That's wrong. You should not do this. This is unbelievably bad. It's wrong. It's evil. And see the gospel and God working through it. So if you've ever been taught, Christianity is this mentality that you put on where uh, everything's gonna be great and you're never gonna get hurt and everything's just wonderful. Whoa, that is not the way it is. But Christianity creates a space where we can say, man, I've been deeply hurt. But by God's grace, we can see that he works through it so that the gospel grows and deepens, oftentimes in our own lives, The, uh, the ones who are hurt, even in us. You see, what's going on here is, can you think about a time when you've been hurt? Can you think about a time in which you could see the gospel work through that hurt and pain? You see, the four-part story not only gives us space to, to say and express that we've been hurt, and also see the gospel grow in it? The four-part story is what changes the dial of our heart from being centered on self, and it shifts that dial to where we start thinking about what God is doing in the midst even of our pain. This whole story of Scripture is telling us that God changes us so that we're not obsessing over self, Even though we can say, like Paul, man, this hurts. But God caused something great to happen in the midst of it. And do you notice even what Paul adds here? Lord, don't hold this against them. Did you notice those words? Verse 16, Lord, don't hold this against them. You know why the Apostle Paul could say that, right? Because he realized that when Jesus was on the cross, he spoke those very same words to Paul. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That means when you realize that the God of the universe, who is infinitely holy, looks at you and says, oh, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Don't hold this against them. And you realize how that transformed your life. It means that you're going to be able to say that and live that out toward other people, so that you can say, "Lord, please, don't hold this against them. Because, Lord, that's what you said to me. You were willing to forgive me. You see, those words that Paul says here are just the echo. Just a few decades ago that Jesus spoke himself. Well, that leads us to our fourth stop. There's more. Because now we need to try to connect all these things together. You've gotten the sense, I hope, that time is limited. I hope you've gotten the sense that you can feel alone. I hope you've gotten the sense that there's space for you to know that you're going to be hurt, but that you can value and be more concerned about the gospel going forward, even than your own hurt. But you need to see how all this fits together and it all makes sense. You need to see that there's more here. The first thing is this. If you look in verse 17, when Paul felt alone and deserted, what does it say? The Lord was with me. The Lord strengthened me. And the word that's used there and the concept that's communicated is this. God somehow poured strength into my being. Have you ever had that in your experience? To where you were enduring something really difficult, whether you felt alone, whether you were attacked, where you made a difficult decision because you know that that this person was needed over there and it meant that you were gonna be diminished in some way here. Have you ever felt any of that stuff and then in the midst of it realize, oh, God is with me and God pours strength into your soul? Oftentimes that comes out in this kind of way. You have a sense of peace that your circumstances do not indicate should be there. The Holy Spirit reminds your heart and your mind of what is most true, which can take an infinite number of expressions. You have a fresh sense that God loves you. You have a fresh sense that He won't leave you. You have a fresh sense of what is true about who He is, even when you're feeling awfully puny and fragile that there's this otherworldly sense of, oh, something much bigger is going on here than how I feel at this exact moment. And you cling to what is most true rather than how you feel in the exact moment when you feel puny and small and fragile. God pours strength into his people, and we experience that. Times when we feel alone or rejected or deserted, or hurt, God ministers to us and pours things into our life that we can't find anywhere else. Well, there's also something more here. Look at what he says about Alexander. Says God will take care of him. And let me tell you, I don't think Paul means that in a passive aggressive sense. I don't think Paul means it either as a statement of revenge. I really don't. By the way, you know how we as Christians say things passive aggressively when we get in arguments? You ever had somebody say this to you? You get upset with somebody and somebody's upset with you and at the end they're like, we'll pray for you. (laughs) You felt that, haven't you? You felt the passive aggressiveness of that. No one knows what else to say, so they spiritualize something and slap that on you as if that makes everything better, <laughs> as if they really care. No, they're mad at you, and they don't know what to do with it. So rather than say everything they want to say, they just don't want to, certain, oftentimes aren't even on the receiving end, and then they just slap these spiritual slogans on the, on, at the end of it, like as if that makes anything better. Maybe you've done that yourself gotten upset with somebody and just realized the end well, day, well, I'm, I'll, I'll just pray for you. It is so condescending in your heart. You know it. You have no intention about praying for them unless you're praying that somehow a ball of fire would come from the sky and fix this miraculously. But no, we would never do that, would we? We would never think that. Paul is not saying this in a passive-aggressive sense. I don't think he's even saying it. From the standpoint of wanting revenge. I think he's simply making a statement of fact. I think he's making a statement of resignation. I've resigned not to hate this person. I've resigned to give this to God. Hands off. Does that resonate with you? You ever gotten to a point in your life when you were upset with somebody and you had to just ultimately give it to God over and over and over until it doesn't weigh on you anymore and you don't want anything bad to happen to them like some revenge and you don't want to be passive aggressive to them and be fake? That's not where you are either. But by God's grace, you've gotten to the point where you just hands off I love this poem, it's helped me much in these kind of situations. Whatever my God ordains is right, his holy will abides. I will follow wherever he guides. He is my God. Though dark my road, he holds me that I shall not fall. And so to him I leave it all. Well, there's more. Did you notice what Paul says here to start off? There's more work to be done. Here he is in prison Here he is feeling and writing about everything that he's experienced, the abandonment, the hurt, the loss, the struggle. And look what he says to start verse nine. Timothy, come quickly. No doubt he means that because I don't have much time left. But he says, get here quickly. And if you look in verse 13, he says, and I need you to bring me some things, my cloak, books, and the parchments. You notice that? And if you read down to verse 21, he says, winter's coming. Well, when you're in a dungeon, and you're old, um, it's good to have a cloak. It's good to have a blanket. It's good to have a parka. It's good to have a jacket. That's what he wants. And then he says, bring me books. Why in the world would Paul say, bring me books? Because he's interested in continuing to learn and study and grow. And he even tells Timothy, come quickly, and um, if you would, please bring Mark. Did you notice that in the text? Bring Mark. Mark. Paul and Mark worked together as well. And then they had this sharp disagreement. And Mark went one way and Paul went another. And here Paul is at the end of his life. And he's saying, Bring Mark! Because their relationship has been restored. Now, when you start putting all these things together, do you see the team that's being assembled near Paul? You got Paul, you got Timothy, you got Mark. And you got Luke, how about that? And Paul says, don't just bring my jacket, don't just bring my books, but above all, bring me the parchments. What in the world is that? Well, let me tell you real quick, nobody really knows. People have written dissertations on this, nobody really knows. And so, there's no reason for us to get crazy and go wild on this, but we're gonna get a little loose. And we're gonna use our imaginations. This is like one of those moments. I, this, this moment here where we're thinking about who's gathered around Paul is, um, whether you've seen this documentary or not, is somewhat immaterial. This is like the moment in the documentary Air that's about Michael Jordan. Do you remember this? Have you watched this? By the way, I'm using this because everyone's heard of Michael Jordan. Well, there's this moment in which the company Nike, which at the time was uh, rather insignificant. <laughs> Surprising, right? in which they wanted Jordan to sign and be sponsored by them. And there was this moment in which one of the representatives from Nike said to Michael and his parents, Michael, you are going to be great. And when you become great, everyone is going to tear you down. Michael, we want you to walk in these shoes not because you need to have more meaning added to your life, but we do. And if you know anything about basketball, the NBA, Michael Jordan, or Nike, the rest is history. That moment was the moment in which basketball would never be the same, the NBA would never be the same, Michael would never be the same, and Nike would never be the same. And this moment here with Paul and Luke and Mark and Timothy, where they're gathered around looking at the parchments, which more than likely, just think about what that could be. You got Paul getting ready to die, leaving Timothy, more or less the oversight of all kinds of church plants. Luke that writes both volumes, the Gospel of Luke and Acts itself. Mark, who was a close companion of Peter, It is not outside the realm of obvious, obvious possibility to think that this was the moment that most of the New Testament was mapped out, in which these men are together and they're thinking about the parchments, which was a leather document that probably, this is not super speculative, this is fairly obvious, probably had the sayings of Jesus there, And they were gathering around thinking about the life of Jesus together and what would happen. And that was the moment that God was using to ultimately change the world so that we could have a copy of the scriptures and understand who God is and what he said. In particular, who Jesus is and how that will be recorded for us. It's that moment that's amazing, it's amazing, and it's right there for us to see what God was doing. And that leads us to the last thing, under there's more. Everything that God told Paul when he became a follower of Christ had come true. When Paul first became a follower of Jesus, he said, this man is gonna go and proclaim the truth to the world and he is going to suffer many things for my sake. And what does Paul say here in verse 18? Look at it. His hope is in God who will deliver him from every evil deed and bring him safely into Heavenly kingdom. <laughs> Everything that God told Paul, the moment he was changed forever and transformed, had come true. And this little phrase that he uses here in 18, about God delivering him from every evil deed and bringing him safely to his heavenly kingdom, is what Paul expresses in other places in First and 2 Timothy. Statements like this. God had mercy on me so that I might be able to tell other people how merciful God is. And in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, this is what else Paul says. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed until that day. Beloved, the four-part story is what enables us to endure. And that's what brings us to the table.